the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we were to describe how many of our fellow Catholics would view what it means to be saved, I would describe it like this. Broad and wide is the way that leads to heaven. However, narrow is the door that leads to hell. This, of course, is the exact opposite of what Jesus himself says in sacred scriptures. The default condition of humanity is that we are lost, not saved. And Jesus' warning about this are to be received with our utmost attention. Listen again to what Jesus says in today's gospel on the parable of the weeds and the weeds. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all who cause others to sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Or listen to what Jesus tells us earlier on in that same gospel. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 21. There are hundreds of other similar warnings from Jesus and the apostles throughout scriptures about these two ways, the two ways to live and the two ultimate destinations. We Catholics, of course, are not fundamentalists. And when interpreting these passages, it's important to take into account the historical context, the need for them to be interpreted in harmony with the rest of sacred scriptures, and the need for them to be viewed in light of how the church has received, understood, and reflected on these passages throughout history and tradition. We also always need to remember that it is not at all God's desire that so many are on the path of destruction. We know from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, that God loves us and that He desires that the whole human race be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Indeed, as we read from the Book of Wisdom today, God judges us with leniency and clemency. Indeed, God is loving and forgiving. But we also know that God freely accepts our freedom to accept or reject His offer of salvation. If there is no freedom to accept or reject, true love and friendship with God is not possible. Just like in marriage, if there is any force or compulsion, it is not a true marriage and can therefore be annulled. Up until the middle of the 20th century, there was an unchallenged consensus that Jesus' words are to be interpreted exactly as they are commonly understood. That there really is a heaven and really is a hell and that faith, repentance of sin and baptism are necessary for salvation. Today, many people, including many Catholics, believe in just the exact opposite. Many Catholics, including those who occasionally or regularly attend Mass, have no problem rejecting what Scripture and the Church teaches if it doesn't fit their life's lifestyle choices. For example, how many practicing Catholics contracept 
engage in premarital sex, tolerate sodomy, or find abortion acceptable? How many Catholics no longer believe that deliberately missing Mass on Sundays and holy days of obligation is a mortal sin? And receiving Holy Communion, when one is guilty of mortal sin, is considered sacrilegious. Baptisms of infants are often delayed, if not ignored altogether by young parents. And many of those who identify as Catholics no longer see the importance of receiving the sacrament of marriage. People rationalize that either God will understand or that they are too weak to live up to Jesus' teachings. Or they believe that a good and loving God couldn't possibly allow his people to be condemned to eternal damnation. But the teachings of sacred scriptures and the Catholic Church remain indisputable. The overwhelming witness of our Lord, the teachings of the apostles, the prophets in the Bible, the multitude of saints throughout history, the official teachings of the Catholic Church as enunciated in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the warnings of Our Lady in her apparitions, especially at Fatima, have unmistakably declared that if people persist in their unbelief and do not repent of their immorality and sins, they will be eternally lost. And so there are three areas that I would like to invite all of us to consider for our spiritual reflection. First, the need for evangelization. Be baptized into Christ. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, evangelize. Proclaim Jesus Christ, His message, His call for faith, His call for repentance of sin and obedience to God. It is not enough just to build a world where people are kind and peaceful and just. These are noble things to strive for. But we need to proclaim Jesus Christ for the sake of the people who do not know Him and for those Catholics who have fallen away from the practice of the faith. We do these not just to enrich their lives or give meaning to their lives, but to actually save their lives. Second, it is not enough just to simply believe in God and be a good person in order to be saved. But rather, there must be a personal response to Jesus Christ that involves surrendering ourselves to Him and to a change of life because of having encountered His grace. Both sacred scriptures and tradition remind us that we do not live in a neutral environment and that the spiritual realities referred to in the scriptures as the world, the flesh, and the devil present great obstacles for us to be saved. All of us are subject to the weaknesses of the mind, and as a result of original sin and of our own personal sins, without the spiritual armor of God, we are vulnerable to the world and self-deception. This is why it's foolish to say, as many people do, that they don't really need to hear the gospel or that if they are simply a good person who loves everybody and doesn't kill anybody, it is enough for that person to be saved. Listen to what St. John Paul II writes in Veritatis Splendor. The grace of justification once received is not lost only by apostasy, but also by any other mortal sin. 
This applies not just to unbelievers, but also the faithful. If they are guilty of fornication, adultery, wantonness, sodomy, theft, avarice, drunkenness, slander, plundering, and all others who commit mortal sins, from which with the help of divine grace, they can refrain, and because of which they are severed from the grace of Christ. Unquote. Lastly, being on friendly terms with Jesus does not constitute the relationship with him that will admit people to his house. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Just knowing about Jesus and being positively open to him is not enough. Having gone to Catholic school all our life is not enough. It is not enough just to be baptized or even go to church on Sundays. But in addition to these, unless we actually obey the teachings of Jesus in thought, word, and deed, not only will we not be saved, but we will be more severely judged. Listen to what Vatican II stunningly claims in Lumen Gentium chapter 14. He is not saved, however, who, though part of the body of the church, does not persevere in Christian charity. He remains indeed in the bosom of the church, but as it were, only in a bodily manner and not in his heart. All the church's children should remember that their exalted status is to be attributed not to their own merits, but to the special grace of Christ. If they fail, moreover, to respond to that grace in thought, word, and deed, not only shall they not be saved, but they will be more severely judged. That's Vatican II. I had a young person once shared with me that I found very thought-provoking, that while he sees many people all older than he attend Mass every Sunday, say their prayers might even be involved as ministers of lectors and extraordinary ministers, some he has observed are actually deep down miserable, nasty, unforgiving, unrepentant, uncharitable, and bitter individuals. Of course, while this might be a sweeping generalization and is often the indictment and excuse that many young people often say about older practicing Catholics, there is some level of truth and wisdom into this criticism. For if we are not attentive to the Lord's warnings, repent of our sins, take up our cross daily, amend our ways, abandon our lives to Jesus Christ, and persevere in charity, not only will we be more severely judged, we may even find ourselves cast out into the fiery furnace where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Just like the Jews boasting about having the temple in their midst was not enough to save them from severe judgment, or claiming to be children of Abraham was not enough to save them from condemnation. Just claiming that we are Catholics is not enough to save any of us. In fact, in Jesus' time, those who were most proud of calling themselves children of Abraham were so deeply deceived in their prideful presumption that they were blind to the fact that they were, in fact, quote, children of the devil, unquote, as Jesus said of them in John chapter 8, verse 44. God forbid this would be the case with us because of our arrogance, our pride, and our presumption. 
May all of us take to heart the solemn warnings that Jesus gives us to strive to humble ourselves and enter through the narrow gate. While only God can truly judge the hearts of others, including our own, our job is not to figure out whether God will understand our sinful actions or that of others. Our job is to call others, including ourselves, to a deep acceptance of faith in Jesus Christ, to repentance of sin, and to obedience to Jesus, and bring ourselves and others closer to the mystical body of Christ, the church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.